0: Uh, the following the podcast brought to you by MassiveSports.com, your home for Orioles and National Baseball. Hey, those fans, welcome to this week's edition of Yard Work alongside Steve Molesky. I'm Brian Eller. Steve, good morning. Happy Friday.
1: Hey, Brian. What's
0: happening? <laughs> How are you? A lot of stuff to talk about. I know I think we uh, feel like there's been a lot happening over the last two weeks or so, um, just to kind of recap things, you know, they got the... Broke out for a nice win last night over the Astros. Put up 13 runs. They uh, moved back into a tie for second place with the Red Sox, still game and a game and a half, and a half behind uh, the Blue Jays. It was actually the first time I think they fell into third place uh, for the entire season. So that was uh, a little disappointing to see. But um, clearly, Steve, the the I feel like the tide has kind of turned to from talking about the starting pitching woes to uh, the inconsistency of the offense and. You know, they're, it's very easy to go back and forth. It's kind of been this recipe where fans or people watching will gripe and say, all right, the offense is no good, changes need to be made. Then you kind of look at the numbers and say, okay, well, they are certainly struggling, but every team seems to be struggling, so it's not it's not just a problem that the Orioles are having. But then they go out and they put up a, a 13th spot last night against, you know, a, a decent club in, in Houston. And I guess just going off of last night, Steve, if you're a fan, can a performance like last night where they hit six home runs, 13 runs, can that leave you feeling encouraged but also a little frustrated at just kind of knowing what this offense is able to do?
1: Well, it's both because we've seen it before. I mean, you know, 13 is an extreme because that does – tie the season high, and that's the most extra base hits they've had in any game this year is nine. They had two doubles, a triple, and six home runs, and they were one home run short of a season high. They had seven in the one game against Boston. So, I mean, it's one of the biggest offensive games of the year. and But we know, unfortunately, because we've seen it, it doesn't mean anything in terms of the next couple games. And so we just can't say, well, they're fine now. Um, You know, they busted out because... We saw them score 10 runs in a game recently in the U.S. cellular field, and Manny hit three homers. And we didn't know it then, but the next three games, they would score a total of three runs. And that's an extreme from one end to the other. So, unfortunately, I think the bigger sample size is telling us the inconsistent team is who they are offensively. With tremendous potential to explode at a moment's notice, like they did in the late innings in, in the San Francisco for the comeback. So it's always there. And on the whole, they, they, they hit more home runs than anybody. We know that. And so the, the threat of them doing that is always there. But these, these games where they're scoring one or two or three runs, they always seem to be there too. So, um, going forward to win the division, it would be nice if there's a little more of the former, obviously.
0: Sure. And I mean, this is such a a veteran team that these, these guys probably wouldn't, are are, are pretty well trained to not even let on uh, what they're, what they might be really feeling in in some certain situations. But I have to think that, you know, like you said, when they go out and they're able to put up uh, double digit runs and, and, you know, half a dozen home runs in one game and then the next night or the next few nights go back to being that inconsistent, I would think it has to make them as frustrated as it does the fans watching.
1: I would think so too because they clearly know what they're capable of and, um, you know, you know, you have these nights where they just don't score much. You figure with nine guys, one or two will do something to make it happen and it puts pressure on the pitching staff and the bullpen and the starters and, and everything. So, you know, we can't make it sound like a terrible scenario because as you cited, they're a game and a half out and they're right there and there's, there's time to go and they've got a lot of home games coming. So there are some good things here. But the fact that these uh, these mood swings, I mean, they scored 6.6 runs a game in June. It was dynamic. It was the best offense in the game. And that same offense has put up some of the worst numbers in the American League since the All-Star break. And, I mean, right. if you had told me at the end of June, look how the Orioles are hitting, but guess what? In the first 30 games or 40 games after the All-Star break, they'll be near the bottom of the league in runs. You would have knocked me over with a feather because it didn't seem like they could go from one extreme to the other, but we we saw it. Right. And, I
0: mean, kind of the guy who seems to be taking the brunt of of the struggles for the entire offense, you know, uh, unfair as that may be, is, is of course, Chris Davis. And I, I guess that's partly because, you know, he's, um, make no mistake about it, he's the power hitter, he's the, he's the cleanup guy, you know, maybe along with, with Trumbo. Uh, he got that, that huge contract, so he's kind of, uh, the expectations certainly are there to, to be that power source. And as we know, even despite the, the little home run surge over the past couple of days, still, you know, hitting, uh, I think his average is at 222 going into into Friday's game. Um, I, I, I kind of feel bad, you know, knowing Chris kind of a little more a, interacting with him as a media member, I, I certainly feel bad for all that pressure that's put on. But at the same time, you know, I think he would tell you, hey, he knows he's got a job to do and he's, uh, you know, Supposed to be that that power guy, um, and, but do you feel like is Chris the type of guy where it really just takes a, a couple, maybe a couple days of some good offensive production, or uh, you know, a week of, of getting that bat in check to really kind of get him rolling?
1: I just wish we knew, Brian, because he's similar to the team as we know. We've seen it right. with Chris; these streaks, and so some of these slumps have been extended this year longer than we've used to seeing. Um And so now he has three home runs in two games. That often can be a precursor to a run of eight and 12 games or something like that, which would be very welcome for him and the team right now. And so what happened with him is, to me, it's a bunch of events that have coincided. And, and the contract is a big one because fans, uh for better or worse, are the players who make the most money they think should be producing the most, and that's usually how it works. And so they're throwing that back at him, the, the big contract he signed this winter. And then the combination of, you know, while Manny and Trumbo and some others got off to these hot starts, Chris did not. And then you add in some of these frustrating strikeouts and key moments. It's all adding up to for make him kind of be the, the poster boy for the struggles of the offense. And he has borne the brunt of the criticism and some of it's certainly justified. And so Buck always points out. Uh, in addition to that, he's making a lot of plays defensively to help. He just recently played a couple games in right field, made a nice catch. He's athletic out there. He is still drawing walks, so there are things he does that are positive, impacting games. Uh, but the bat has frustrated the fans. Yeah, yeah, but
0: I, I, I got to say I, I agree with Buck at least in in the defensive standpoint. Boy, he's he's probably one of the most underrated defensive. You know, guys in the in the entire league. I mean, especially first base. He, he did uh, kind of do some fill in there in right field, and that catch against the Red Sox was uh, was pretty darn impressive, especially for a guy kind of out of his comfort zone there. But yeah, yeah. His, his his defense is great. I mean, maybe maybe after Machado. You have to look at him as maybe the best guy in the Orioles infield in terms of uh, defense. You know,
1: well, I give him credit for the for the defensive year he's had, and and also the fact that he doesn't take the offense into the field, which. Which would be time, you know. There are players I bet who are impacted by that. That they just it just distracts them, where they just their focus is off because they're not hitting. And so he has been able to realize that once I'm in the field, that hitting doesn't matter. You know, uh, right. I can make a play now that matters, and and that's probably harder to do than we would think, because uh, we're all human beings. And if you just struck out with the bases loaded in the fifth you know, scooping that ball out in the sixth might be harder than you think. So he's done it. He's made the plays. He's important on this team because the infield defense is so important. So it's nice right. to have, you know, like Cal Ripken Sr. said, don't make half a great play. When Manny makes that great play, if he scoops the throw a little bit because it's a difficult chance, then you got to make it on the other end to make that a great play, and he has.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I kind of want to look at a uh, kind of – Two situations in, into this next topic in terms of looking ahead a couple weeks away when the September rosters expand and um, you know Joey Rickard is working on rehabbing his, his right thumb injury. Um, they're I guess he, they're kind of looking at forecasting a, a September return. Um, but meanwhile, Hyunsoo Kim he has career high four hits last night against the Astros. He is not showing any signs of slowing down. You know what, that early season. Uh, average of uh, being up in the in the 300s doesn't seem to be going anywhere which is certainly a great thing he's just he seems to be making hits and and timely hits at at, at that as well you know they kind of come in underrated situations whether they end up moving a runner over or knocking in all the eye that ends up being a critical run in the game and i've heard some fans say hey you know it doesn't matter who's pitching a lefty or a righty let's make him the everyday left fielder um, if you look at the splits obviously he's he's only Got a couple of at bats against right-handers, hitting two sixty-seven, hitting three fifty-five um, against righties and two sixty-seven against lefties Barbie. Is there any idea to making him the left fielder? What do you think about making him the everyday left fielder? And what do you potentially do when Rickard comes back and you have that that uh, that opening there?
1: Well, it's going to be a few weeks on Rickard because I think we're looking around Labor Day before he can do baseball activities, maybe sooner. So. Uh That he's not going to impact it for a couple weeks. It doesn't appear. But for whatever reason, Buck has been a little reticent to have Kim make more starts against lefties. He made one this week against David Price. He's only made two starts all year against left-handers. And it would seem that uh the time has come to get more chances there. Because, especially, Nolan Rimo hasn't hit that well. And Rickard is out. And they don't have great options. Uh You know, Steve Pierce has been hurt since he's been here. So, uh, guys who they could use there, have been ineffective or hurt. And that seems to be screaming, play Kim Moore, And fans are screaming, play Kim more. And, and I think Buck has, uh, for whatever reason, just the way he's wanted to do it. And so um, statistics are not easy to find in terms of splits in the KBO. But some people who have found them or who have accessed them have told me that he did hit over 300 the last three years in the KBO against left-handed pitching. And so he's got a track record of doing okay with that. You know, he obviously was an everyday player there. Uh, I see no reason for him not to play more against lefties, and I wonder if we're going to see it.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's, it's sort of a situation where Buck Buck sees something or, or you know, has has uh, watched something and kind of says, hey, that there's a reason for that hesitancy. But, you know, he might be coming around on it, too. Again, he saw the start against the left-hander. Um, against Boston and and the average isn't isn't terrible, but again that's that's probably due to some limited at bats that that might. Um, well, I a mean you
1: bit. know I, whether this is the same answer or not. When in the when the Orioles were in Chicago, there was a three game stretch where Pedro Alvarez hit five homers, and the next day a lefty started and Alvarez did not. And I asked Buck you know the reasoning, and he basically said uh, you, you know. You know, do you, do you ever think why Pedro is hitting so well? might be because he's facing right-handers. And, you know, he mentioned that the impact's defensively. If you have Pedro in the lineup, um, someone has to play the field maybe you weren't planning on. <clears throat> and so um, that makes sense to me. But at some point, Alvarez got so hot and Kim has gotten hot that at some point I think – starting them against an occasional lefty what's so wrong with that i don't think uh, okay well, what's the worst that they could go for four and then maybe you don't start them against the next lefty but i don't think it has to be all or nothing uh but for for the lineup right now it seems to be that way
0: yeah yeah it's kind of uh, maybe goes along the line of the adage of, you know, you're only as good as, as the, the next day starting pitcher. And I mean, boy, you could be, like you said, having a great series, but you go up against a, a left-hander the, the next day and hey maybe the average isn't so great. So you, so you should that guy. So that's, that's always a, a good point to consider. And, and we'll see, I, I feel like to earn that trust in that department to, to put the right guys in the right situation. But yeah, hopefully we'll, I, I'm in the club of wanting to see Kim a little bit more on the regular. So uh, we'll see if that transpires, but um so, Steve, I guess um, in terms of starting pitching, it's kind of nice to to not uh, have to start every episode with the woes of starting pitching. It's been a nice change. Um, just going with 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 Tillman, I guess in terms of the injury news, uh, I know he got scratched from his last start. Seems to be okay with that with that right shoulder, just some discomfort. Um, I guess apparently he was taking some you know throws out in the outfield before yesterday's game. He will start Saturday night. Um, I think the, the kind of the cool thing for for Tillman, I'm not so sure how he'll land in terms of Cy Young voting or what his chances are for that. But I would like to see him uh, at least get a, get that shot at getting 20 wins for the year. It's something the Orioles haven't done since, I think, the mid-'80s with Mike Boddicker. Um, Tillman's at 15 wins. I guess at this moment, how realistic would you put his chances are at at, at, at getting 20 wins? If
1: he, if he makes all his starts, he's he's got a decent shot because they, they've won such a high percentage of his starts this year. Um, it 's probably going to be close because you don 't win all your starts and he doesn 't have that many left that it 's a slam dunk as we know so but I think in the long term issue, whether he gets that or not, the bigger issue would be for him to get through this start Saturday and be fine it 's certainly concerning when you have to push him back as they did. What was less concerning to me was when they said he 's going to start Saturday because oftentimes Brian. If there's something they're worried about, they might say, well, we're going to skip him a start or we'll see if he can start this weekend. But they almost immediately said, okay, Tillman's not going to pitch, uh, what was it, Wednesday, I believe, was his day, right. but he will pitch Saturday. So that was like, mm, that's interesting, he's going to be pushed back, but they're saying Saturday. So that was kind of an unbuck like thing. Normally Buck would say, caution would say, we think he can pitch in a couple of days, let's see, you know, that kind of thing. So I thought that was a good sign that whatever is going on there is minor, as they're telling us. And uh, but I think I will all feel better when we get into Sunday and he's pitched well and he feels well and everything's good, uh, because you know Chris Tillman being unavailable for any length of time is a huge blow to this team.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, is it? I don't know whether that was just a situation where he just felt. Again, he called it discomfort, and I think that was the the word being used, which, again, we know that can mean everything from, you know, a little bruise to, you know, surgery, you know, down the line. But um, when it comes to athletes talking about injuries, but um, the fact that he was back out there kind of throwing and and seemed to be okay. um, Do you you just chalk that up? Do you always take it with the greatest fault when athletes are saying, yep, I'm feeling good, it's getting better, things like that? I feel like you kind of have to because certainly they want to play. They don't want to. Uh, seem like the was me in terms of injuries. I uh, guess you kind of have to take it with a little grain of salt when athletes say that.
1: Well, I mean, you know, um, a lot of times uh, guys are, are maybe won't be 100% truthful with the reporters, and it's not their job to just lay out every injury right. status exactly. There's competitive situations at work here. And so sometimes there, sometimes there are red flags with what we're hearing, but this Doesn't seem to be one of them. I mean, I'll be surprised if we get to Saturday and it's like, oh, wait a second, there's a, we gotta rethink this because it just sounds like everything we've heard points to the fact that they legitimately felt like we just gonna, let's give them a couple days here and we should be fine. And let's hope in a week or two we're forgetting all about this. And it just, we just forgot, we got, forgot the week that they've pushed him back a couple days and everything's fine because he's so important to this staff. Absolutely,
0: um, and I guess in terms of you know another veteran, Wade Miley, uh, the, the newest Oriole, I guess um, he's made three starts with the O's, still looking for the first win. His um, ERA, I think, is just a tick above seven. Uh, so he's kind of had some some bumpy some bumpy starts uh, to his, his career, at least in Baltimore. Um, I, Steve, is there something too? Is there a bit of an adjustment period that players have to make, particularly ones who are? traded in the middle of the season and have to learn, you know, uh, you know, a whole new clubhouse, a new stadium environment, new pitcher-catcher relationships out there on the mound. Um, is, is there sort of a, a grace period or, or something that, that fans might not exactly think of, you know, for pitchers that, you know, have to come over and kind of switch gears, especially in the middle of the season?
1: Uh, I would think there is, is uh, for sure, Brian, but I think in the case of Miley, it's less so because a veteran guy who's been on several teams the last couple of years, not his first rodeo with going team to team. Um, I think I believe he's uh, been traded in the middle before. So um, if there's a guy who you would think that who the adjustment part of it is not a big issue for him, you would think it's Miley. He seems to be fitting in fine. He's uh, got the kind of personality. Uh, that seems to work in that clubhouse I mean we've we've seen few players not fit in there I mean right I, I can hardly think of any because the Orioles are so welcoming and once you're in there you're let's go you're one of us let's get it done he just hadn't pitched uh, that well in two of his three starts particularly that last one in San Francisco now there were a lot of you know ground balls that got through and that when he's pitching well he's going to get a lot of ground balls and on this Infield, a lot of them won't get through, but some days they do. You know, they strike them in the right spots so or they hit them hard enough. And so, you know, that line was kind of unsightly there. Uh, four and a third, seven runs, six earned in San Francisco. I think Scott would think he's got to be pretty motivated to lock that back in, um, and have a better outing coming up.
0: Absolutely. And, um, I guess for Gosman, was it nice to see him, uh, get some, some run support? <laughs> kind of got spoiled last night with 13 yeah. runs. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a very strange sight uh, to see uh, when you look at... I just, I, I think we've said it before. I credit Gosman, um, his mental makeup, to withstand having a now 4-10 record uh, when we know his record could be so much better with a few more runs. He hasn't been great. We know that. But there are pitchers who have his ERA that have good records. And he has... Four, he not, not only has a losing record, he has 4-10. I mean, that's just that you know if you're an NFL team you'd be heading for a top draft pick with that record. Right. So, that's not good for him and he doesn't have the road wins we know and he's given up homers we know and all this and yet he's been upbeat and he keeps working to get better and he told us he made a little tweak with his mechanics between starts which helped him uh deliver the pitch outside to right-handed hitters better he thought in that start. So, um he he's he's staying upbeat he's, um, you know, I think going to finish this off with some good starts, which will be pretty important.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I think in bullpen news, we're still kind of watching his Darren no day. Uh, it goes forward in his recovery from the, uh, the strained rotator cuff. Um, I guess his progress is, 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 minimal, but at least it's progressing in, in the right direction. Um, so it's kind of that, that balance between encouraging and a little frustrating, maybe probably for O'Day and share Walter as well. But, um, What's what are you hearing about O'Day in terms of his path and when we might see him uh, back in the bullpen again? Well, that one's
1: following more a path we were talking about with Kilman. When the fact they were so concrete about the start made you more optimistic for him. Where with O'Day, they're not being concrete about his return, and that that makes you a little a little Weird. concerned. You know, they're feeling good about they got a handle on what's wrong, and he's inching forward, as Showalter has said. But when he was asked directly this week, do you think September 1st O'Day will be an active player, are you confident of that? He said, I wouldn't use the word confident. And so, you know, he kind of left left open that he might not make September 1st. Now, he's eligible a couple days before that to return. So September 1st is not even the, the end date of the DL. So that's a little concerning. It sounds like they feel good that he'll be back, but they're not ready to say, he'll be back at the time he's eligible or even a couple of days after. So, again, that's concerning because that's, you know, you're talking at least a couple more weeks potentially without him, something like that. And then um, I-, I think the hope right now is that it's soon within September rather than late because that- that- that's a big difference in the number of games he can impact.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I don't know whether the, the schedule gods put it this way, but as we uh get to the last, you know, month and a half of the season, it seems like the Orioles are playing American League East opponents. Gosh, every 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 series. So it it's gonna be uh we're gonna need all, all hands on deck. You know, Steve kinda of just as we shift forward to uh to the looking down the road, um the Orioles are in the middle of their home stand. They got took the first one from the Astros, so we'll see if they can uh uh hopefully they get a nice four-game sweep. That would certainly be nice and a nice revenge from uh, the drubbing they took on the road in Houston earlier this year. And then the, they have that, that weird two games at home against Washington and then two games in Washington, which I think is kind of a cool series of Battle Bowies. What, what do you think of that series? I kind of like seeing that, that annual matchup between two local teams, if you will.
1: Uh, I like it, too. I mean, as Summit pointed out, uh, you know, each team has an opponent they play every year, and for the Orioles and Nationals, it's a good one. And so, in a way, uh, if those four games were against a team that was the, the Twins or something, maybe you'd make more hay right. in a close race. But that's just not the way it falls. So you just got to play the hand you're dealt. And uh, I do kind of like it now that they have it set up home and home. Yeah. Uh, so you're seeing a four series, four games. You know, you have the potential for a Strasburg Bundy matchup Monday if it lines up as they've started. That would be something to watch. <laughs> and you know, um, it's the it's the Mass and Cup, as some people in Baltimore like to call oh, okay. it, which which works for us who work oh, for Masson. We're okay with that. We we're pretty proud of uh, having uh, both teams under the fold here, and so uh it's a neat thing for our network specifically, but I think for the fans too. And I think it's great that fans come to each team stadium and every, based on everything we have heard, it's friendly, fun rivalry. It's not, there's no nastiness that you sometimes you see in division rivalries, um, or fans, you know, getting on in the stands. It seems like they're respectful and they cheer on their teams and they kind of have fun with their annual look at each other.
0: Absolutely. And that, that'd be, it's always nice to see. I always like when the Orioles match up against division leaders or, or certainly post contenders. Uh, and actually this year they they seem to they seem to hold their own against other teams at the top of the division, Cleveland and Texas and San Francisco and uh those you know, this playoff teams so that's their potential playoff teams. So that's that's always nice to see. Always a good barometer to see kind of where where your club's at uh even even in uh, as August comes to an end. But I tell you after that series of the nationals they the Orioles had 12 straight games against division opponents. Um uh, that they could play New York twice, to play the Rays, and, and a, a home series with the Blue Jays stuck in there. So that, that you want to talk about a 12 game stretch where I mean it, it could. It's weird for all of the hysterics and ups and downs of of uh, you know where the season is and well, is me the season's over or yes, this team's going to win the World Series and everything in between. Boy, it seems like all it takes is a sample size of about 12 or 20 games against division opponents that can either leave the Orioles comfortably in first place or, you know, really kind of struggling and looking up. So that'll be interesting to see how those series against division opponents takes place, you know?
1: Uh, Very interesting. And, you know, I think there's a comfort level for the Orioles and maybe for their opponents when they play each other. They know each other so well. Uh, It just feels comfortable. The Orioles have done well against the division this year. So I think that bodes well for them. Um, and, you know, the AL East, uh, as I looked earlier this week, was the only division that had four teams playing 500 or better. Um, it has three teams that are contending. The Yankees are on the very fringes of it. The Yankees brought up these young kids, and they seem to be energized by that. So it'll be interesting when the Orioles go to New York next weekend to see how they match up now and how that's going to come out. And, you know, it's never a dull moment with the Yankees, so there's always something going on there. And right. we know the top three, how important these games are, and, you know, it was a two game series, small sample size, but the Red Sox kind of outclassed the Orioles here this, this time. It doesn't mean it'll happen next time. I think fans right. get that in their head that, oh, they can't beat the Red Sox now when they're six and six against the Red Sox this year. So they can beat the Red Sox. They Definitely. can beat the Blue Jays and it's going to be fun. Will they? If they don't, they won't win it perhaps. So, but there's going to be some head to head series coming up that are just going to be big and that, that that's fun for the fans.
0: Yep, I think and I think most teams will tell you they just want to be in the driver's seat and have a chance to to put it in their hands to either make their season or break it. So and that's that's what the Orioles had. So hard to ask much more than that, you know. So um,
1: yeah, fun, fun, fun stretch run, and it beats the heck out of what Oriole fans saw for many years. So since twenty twelve, right. they had the most wins in the league, and I think every I think that should be a tremendous source of pride for an Oriole fan because there was a time when. It didn't look like they'd ever have the most wins in the league.
0: That's right. Many years where the season was over a month ago, so the, we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy it as much as we can. So, All right, Steve, we'll, uh, we'll check back with you. Make sure to check out Molesky uh, on Massinsports.com and be sure to check out the Arbor Podcast now on iTunes and, of course, at Massinsports.com. We'll see you in a few weeks, Steve.
1: All right. Thanks, Brian.